Hi, everybody. My name's Jerome. I'm an alcoholic. Nice to be here. What do you say we wrap this up real fast and go to the beach? What do you say? Huh? I mean, how complicated could this be? Let's see. I guess the first thing I should say, since we're going to talk about the 12 steps, the first thing I should say is, is that uh, in my uh, quest to understand the steps and my attempt to, to find out what's going on, what this means, what the big secret is, where the magic is, where the... the, the um, the, the mysticism that surrounds the 12 steps. I was seeking this stuff out. I found um, many, many teachers in Alcoholics Anonymous who um, shared with me their experience, their strength, um, and the hope that they found as a result of working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and a lot of variations on, on that theme, a lot of different approaches to working the 12 steps. This is just my approach. Now, you, we could meet a year from now and I could come back to you and say, uh, remember that talk on the 12 steps we did down in uh, Sonora Bay? Yeah, never mind. <laughs> Got a whole new slant on this thing. And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I think that's the beauty of the deal here, is that there's worlds within worlds. I mean, the steps, the amazing part about the steps is, is that, I mean, when I came in and they said, you know, we got 12 steps to work, and I went, cool. Read through them, took a good long look, said, there, done and that was, that was my understanding and that was my experience of the 12 steps. I read these things. There were some concepts, some spiritual principles to put there. And I thought, okay, I'm, I get it. That's where these people are coming from. I've done the 12 steps. Now what do you want to do? But it seems that each time I go through the steps, as outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I guess that's really my, the thrust of my efforts at this time and my sobriety is, is working this stuff out of the book, um, is that each time I do this, I change. Each time I do it, my perspective changes, my outlook changes, my understanding of this thing changes, and I peel away another layer of the onion, and it gets a little, I, and then I enter that world within that world, and then that layer gets peeled, and I enter the world within that world, and I come back, I finish step 12, and I come back, and I, I may go through the steps working them with someone that I sponsor, and, and, I'm, and I'm put in the position of being the teacher. Ridiculous as that sounds. Now, or I may go through them with my sponsor or another individual on the program who's doing a workshop on the steps, and I'll go through and I'll listen to their perspective on it, and it affects mine. Or as I'm passing it on to this other guy, we're talking about it, and he's raising questions that didn't even occur to me, and we're addressing those, I learn as well. My perspective has changed. And I come back to step one, and I'm looking at step one from a different angle. It's different now, and I can move on. I remember a point in my sobriety when I, I uh, showed up at my at, at that time my sponsor's meeting, and, and there was a seat right up front. And I slid right in next to a friend of mine. Good, and the meeting started, and they said well, we're going to be talking about step one. And I had about ten years at the time, and I remember thinking, step one, I mean, come on, you know, I got step one not. I got, you know, I'm going to waste my time with step one. I mean, I get, I got it. And there was a gentleman standing up there, uh, sitting up there, and his name was, uh, uh, he was Jack Payne. And at the time, he had 42 years of sobriety. And uh, he told us that he was at the time currently attending a step study. Um, you had to have 25 years of sobriety to go to the step study. So everybody in there had at least 25 years of sobriety. 
And uh, you just got this image of these guys, <laughs> man, all wearing dark sunglasses, you know? I mean, all showed up at this meeting and they had 25 plus years and they all got in the living room and closed the blinds and, and they took off their sunglasses and just these light beams just came out of their head. You know, these super evolved AA guys, right? <laughs> and that they'd been working the 12 steps every week. They spent an hour and a half together walk, talking about the steps and they had been, um, they were on step seven and they had been at it for about 18 months. It had taken them 18 months to get from step one up to step seven with 25 plus years. And I remember thinking, hmm, maybe I don't have step one, Knox. And he talked very briefly, about 20 minutes on step one, and I was back to the drawing board for me. I mean, the, the approach and the perceptions that this guy had, the level of understanding that he had, was just light years beyond anything I'd ever even considered. And that's, I love that about Alcoholics Anonymous. I love it that there is no graduating, there is no, that's done. I mean, there's always the opportunity to reinvest, recommit to the past, that no matter what place I might find myself, I mean, life is on life's terms, and it's going to come down the pike the way it's going to come down the pike. When I was, when I was brand new, I thought, well, you know, when I'm 15, I'll never, um, I'll never be unhappy again. Um, no one I love will get sick. We won't die. Um, you know, no one will betray a trust. I certainly won't. Um, it will be nothing but the truth. I mean, the, if it comes out of my mouth, it will be undeniable truth. I'll, it will just be an amazing experience. What I failed, what, what I forgot to, to remember, what I forgot was that uh, life is on life terms. And what happens as I work through this process is that my ability to adjust and alter my attitude, like Paul talked about, is available to me. I get to choose how I'm going to approach this stuff as it comes down the path. And during the 15 years that I've been sober, a lot of very, very wonderful, just wonderful things have happened in my life. Um, and I've been present and available for those things as a result of working the steps. That's the, the fundamental aspect of, I think, what has improved my life is working those steps. And then trying to manifest what I've learned there in my life. I've also had some pretty um, unfortunate things happen in my life. I've had some, I've taken some direct hits along the way. And um, my attitude about those things and how I've survived those things physically, how I've survived them emotionally, how I've survived them spiritually has been uh, the result of using these tools. It has given me an opportunity to look at things in a way that I never thought was possible for a guy like me. It makes it possible, steps make it possible for somebody like me to respond to my life as it happens as opposed to react to it as it happens. So, in a nutshell, I don't think I'm the guy to be getting too carried away with the steps. By the way, I'm speaking on the steps by default. I was the last speaker that they called and said, you know, you're the only one left who hasn't picked a topic. And I said, well, what's everybody else talking about? And then we down to listen. I said, nobody's talking about the steps? The guy goes, that's a great idea. <laughs> and I'm at, oh, I got the steps. Good. Right. Um, the way I look at it is this. The step, on page 30 in the book, it says, that I must accept to my innermost self I'm alcoholic, that that's the first step in recovery. It also tells me on page 25 that there's a solution. There is a solution to my problem. And it tells me that I'm not going to like, and it lists three things. I'm not going to tell you what they are. It lists three things. It tells you, you're not going to like doing these three things. They're the things that will bring about a successful consummation of this deal. You do these three things, because, I mean, when we read the traditions, it says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. However, if you'd like to stay here, 
there's a few suggestions we'd like to make. You might want to try to engage this process on these levels. And the fundamental way, they, I mean, that symbol that we have is that circle with a triangle. And we don't have that symbol anymore, do we? Legally, we will. We've probably ten people in here wearing it. I mean, we still have it, you know, rings, little necklaces and stuff. Um, that's an ancient spiritual symbol. It stands for mind, body, and spirit brought together as a whole human being. And therein lies the balance that we seek as, as, as humans. Drunk or sober, I didn't have that drunk or sober. When AA adopted the symbol, it was unity, recovery, and service brought together as a whole human being. It's the same thing. The unity is the body. I bring it here. I have to be with you. That's why trips like this are so valuable to somebody like me, that I get to be with my people. I get to be celebrating my life, celebrating the process, celebrating recovery with other individuals who understand it like no one else on earth, those that are in it. And I, I can't get sober, but we can. We do this together. Um, and there's people in this room that I absolutely love, and, and there's just no restriction on that. You know what I mean? It's just, I couldn't, I couldn't not love them if I wanted to. You know what I mean? It's just an amazing connection with other human beings. That's, I bring the body to you. The recovery is of the mind, the greater aspect of my disease. And the book tells me how great that, that disease process is. It tells me that the persistence of this illusion, this belief in a lie that I can drink like a normal man, is astonishing. And that many of us pursue it to the gates of insanity and death. There's a woman in L.A. that calls me the gate guy. <laughs> she says, this guy's been to the gates of insanity and death. He's the gate guy. And, there, and I don't want to go there anymore. And it tells me that to get the balance back in my life, to ha experience the recovery of the mind, to have the obsession to drink removed, to have that voice that Paul talks about, that one of the committee that steps up and says, you know, the answer to this is a drink, and does it very quietly in a very cunning, baffling, and powerful way, that voice gets quieted by these other voices that are given the voice of recovery, that are given the voice that the 12 steps bring to a guy like me. That's what I have to get in touch with. So I go to the book, which is the text of Alcoholics Anonymous. I go to the book. The 12 and 12, as an example, is, in my opinion, is a fantastic book. And it talks, and it expands on the ideas involved in the 12 steps. It has, gives a lot of added information and talks a lot about the 12 steps. I think that follows, for me, having done the work in the big book. The big book tells me a lot about them, but it also tells me how to do them. How to do the 12 steps. And in the book, so that I address coming in here stone cold sober, having addressed, having kicked, having addressed the physical aspect, I no longer have the physical phenomenon of craving. I engage the book and I start to address the recovery of the mind. Because at that point, it's not about stopping drinking anymore. I've done that. It's about not starting again. It's about being able to put one day in line with another day, in line with another day, in line with another day, so that there is an, an uninterrupted process of recovery that I place down upon the process of my life, so that the two go hand in hand. My life and my recovery become one, and I can move forward from that, from, from whatever point I enter into the process. So I go to the book to study the 12 steps. Step one, basically, is what's the problem? What's the problem here? I mean, if I don't really get a firm understanding of what it is I'm dealing with, how am I going to come up with an effective solution? There's got to be a connection there. I mean, I really have to get what it is I'm up against before I can start deciding what, I'm, what sort of solution I'm going to apply to that. I mean, a screwdriver in and of itself is an excellent solution to a lot of problems. There's a lot of problems in the world that you can fix with a good screwdriver. However, if you've got a flat tire, this isn't really going to help a lot. You gotta match them up. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got to really be able to hear, okay, we got a flat tire, screwdriver probably won't work, or what, what will work for this flat tire? It's the same thing with alcoholism. I mean, I have to really get what it is I'm dealing with before I can really address it. So step one for me is what's the problem? For me, the book tells me my lack of power is my dilemma. My problem is lack of power, that I am powerless over alcohol, and my whole life completely unmanageable as a result of that one thing. That when I take a good long look at my life, I, I haven't been making the choices for a long time. The decision's been made. I wake up, I need alcohol, period. And I'll do whatever is necessary to get it. Lack of power is my dilemma. That's my problem. Well, if lack of power is my problem, what's my solution to that problem going to be? Very simple. Step two. Step two tells me the solution to my problem is a power. If lack of power is my dilemma, power is my solution. And it's going to have to be a power greater than myself. So step two, and, and, and I'm, I'm on the couch. I'm not running around climbing the mountaintops and doing all that stuff. I've already done the footwork out there with my disease to answer these questions for myself. I'm sitting on the couch with a book in my hand. Nobody else involved. I'm reading this book, Lack of Power. Based on what you've read, the doctor's opinion, first eight pages of Bill's story. Right? You think that you identify? Um, unfortunately, yes. I'm with you every step of the way, so fine. I'm getting a little depressed about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, so you, you would agree then that uh, uh, you would admit that you're powerless over alcohol in your lifetime, and as a result of that, that one thing. Yeah, I'd have to agree that that is in fact my problem. Read on or I'll keep reading. Right. Talks a lot in the book about that, you know, can you accept that it's going to take a power greater than you? I mean, left to your own devices, look where you ended up. You ended up in AA. <laughs> it wasn't on your list of things to do, was it? No. No, it wasn't. Okay, so you've ended up here. Can you accept that? Can you come to believe that? That it's going to take a power greater than you to restore you to sanity, soundness of mind, relieve you of the obsession to drink. Because what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with how you're going to not start again. How you're not going to buy into that illusion, that belief in the lie that you can have a couple of drinks, that you can drink like a normal man. That it's not the minute you drink, you don't give up the power of choice. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe that's true. So I'm sitting on the couch with my book and I've already... Know what my problem is, I've accepted what my problem is, I've accepted what my solution to that problem is going to have to be, and nothing's really changed. I said, well, you know, what you're going to have to do here is, you're probably, you read on, you're probably going to have to make a decision to do something about this. It's probably going to take some action on your part to bring about this solution in your life. Because you're reading about it and you're talking about it, but you're not experiencing this solution yet. And we're experiential kind of people. That's why Alcoholics Anonymous works so beautiful, because we come from down in here, not up here. We're not from the head, we come from the gut. And that's why I would, when guys would walk up to me out there when I was drinking, they'd say, you know, Earl, I read this book. And according to this book, I'd say, you know, you got a drinking problem, pal. They seem to feel it'd be something along the lines of alcoholism here, from what I can tell. I'd say, uh, do you drink? They'd say, well, no, you know, no, I don't, I just read this book. So you have no experience with this, what you're saying to me. You've never sat in a seat. Say, well, no, actually, no, and I say, go away. Get away from me. You have no idea what you're talking about. In here, I listen to the people that have had the experience. I go to a meeting, I sit in the back, I hate everybody, I'm brand new. I notice the differences and not the similarities between myself and others. And some guy gets up at the podium and shares his experience, his strength, and his hope, and I identify. That guy knows about me. He has the same experience. So that's where I live. It's got to be about the experience. I've got to have the experience. And the steps get that. It's, it's built right into that. They, when, the steps, when, when the steps are written, it was known. 
they're going to have they're going to have these steps are going to have to be designed to bring about an experience because nothing else is going to work for these people. They knew who we were. They were us. So they said, okay, you're going to have to make a decision to do something that's going to bring this experience about in your life. So you're going to have to make a decision to do something. Luckily, that was the very next step. And what that was asked to do was to get down on my knees, say the third step prayer, and turn my will and my life over to the care of God in that process. And this frightened me. I thought, you know, they're getting a little... You know, I could feel this process kind of accelerating. You know what I mean? So far, I'm just trying to catch reading. Yeah, that's the problem. Uh-huh. That's probably going to have to be the solution on it. Now you now I have to get down on my knees. I have to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Mm. Well, better not hesitate. Better just do it. Down on the knees. Take a deep breath. Say the third step prayer. Get back up on the couch. I'm a little nervous, but I'm all right. I'm back on the couch. I haven't let anybody in the room yet. <laughs> I can deny it later if I need to. <laughs> What I come to discover is, is that that is a huge step. I mean, I can't kill myself anymore. It's not my life to take. Turn it over to God. I've removed that option. Very, I was very upset about that. And on and on and on. So, but I mean, and, and, I, and I read on the book, and I go, okay, third step. Right after that comes in what I think is one of the, the, the one of the examples of the great sense of humor in Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, and I'm paraphrasing, and it says, right after I get back up on the couch and done my third step, it says, we hope you were very serious about that. Like, <laughs> so, now you tell me. <laughs> because there's no sliding on these people at all. Um, because, you see, it's just you've done one, two, three. Drinking at this point is very easy to do. Very easy to do. If you're going to bank it all on the first three steps, you're in trouble. Basically, was the message I was getting. You have to embark upon a plan of rigorous action right now. Or this is just a, it's worthless. All you've done is, is for not. That's fine. What's this rigorous action plan that's going to bring this solution about my life? It's no satisfying these people. You know? You think you do three steps, you take a couple of years off, you go to meetings. You know? No. Immediately now, I have to, I don't know, rigorous, I mean, what have I gotten myself into? This is ridiculous, right? I got a life to live, right? <laughs> yeah, like I've been living a life. Okay, I mean, I love, you know what I mean? I, I love the attitude. I love the attitude. And I I hope I never forget the attitude of being now, of being new, how indignant I should become with a drop of a hat. Like, what do you mean, action plan? People need to calm down. Okay, I'll do it. What is this action plan? Well, there, and, and you have to understand that there's variations on this part of it. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people figure it's this many steps. Other people say it's this many steps. I, just, I have my way of breaking it down. And the only way I break, and I don't disagree with the different approaches to this at all. What I love is when alcoholics get together and they start to argue about the right way to do the steps. And you get four or five guys in a room that absolutely disagree on how you're supposed to do these steps. You got a, you know, some guy over here with 40 years going, for Christ's sake, you people don't know what you're doing. And you got a guy over here with, with six years, you know, with, with a book Nazi from six months on. So, and I just freaking believe with that, that's old thinking, blah, 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 you know. And I sit there and I loved it. I loved that. I go, look at this. A bunch of completely insane alcoholics and dopamine arguing about a spiritual path. <laughs> this is a great problem. <laughs> I love this problem, you know. Look what we've gotten into. Look what we're arguing about. 
You know, of course we're all still self-righteous and everybody has to be right. This is the way. Okay, <laughs> that's the way. But I like this way too, and I like that way too. And I'm going to look at all of them because I don't. It's, it's not about being right; it's about staying free. But there's lots of different ways. The way I do it, the way I'm going to talk about it today, is out of respect for the individual who passed it on to me this way, because love them beyond life. Four through nine. Step four. I sit down and I do a, a, a fearless and searching moral inventory. I mean, I got this inventory that I do. How do I do an inventory? What do I do? A lot of people will say, well, we've got 167 questions on a big thing that pulls out that's too big for me to hold up. We got this one, and we got, hey, just get rid of the garbage. Just get rid of the garbage. Write the garbage down. Write the lies down. Write the secrets down. Yeah, they got that approach. Me, personally, uh, I'm going to go today with the one in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous because I figure that's the bad boy right there. That's the good one. Because no matter who you're talking to, it says to you, you know, your fourth step, so yeah, I did the one out of the book. So go away. <laughs> get, get them right off your back, that one. No matter who you're talking to. <laughs> the, uh, um, and the four steps, in, as it's outlined in the big book, is I do a four-column inventory on resentment, fear, and fact. I do essentially three mini-inventories, four columns each. And an example of a four steps on resentment, I resent, write the name of the individual, column one, is an example. I'm not going to get into all the stuff. We want to get out of here. Nice. That's it. What the specific resentment is in column two. What areas of my life are affected column three. I suggest that there are seven examples in the example given and in the text of the book on the fourth step that I can use to cover major aspects of my life like self-esteem, pride, um, personal relations, sexual relations, ambition, pocketbook, um, like that. And the fourth column is the column, the real brain twister for us, because if I have a resentment, I resent you, because you did this to me. I get to column four and it says, Sora, what was your part in it? Where were you selfish, self-seeking, self frightened, or dishonest? And we write this down in black and white, so I write down where it was, you know. And I was, I was dishonest, and I write a little sentence saying precisely how, in, in what manner I was dishonest. I do that on resentment. I do it on fear. Interesting thing about the fear inventory for me is that when I also get into the 12 and 12 and, and step 7 of the 12 and 12, it talks about self-centered fear is the chief activator of all my defects of character. Either I'm going to lose what I've got, I'm afraid I'm going to lose what I've got, or I'm not going to get what I want. I'm afraid of rejection and abandonment. And I've been able to, when doing my fear, and when I've done fear inventories, I've been able to reduce my fear inventory to two things. I am basically, I mean, every fear that I live, I can either attribute to a fear of being rejected or a fear of being abandoned. Everything. Everything. And that makes a, that has a very interesting effect on my life. Because what will happen is I'll find myself walking through life. This is an example of how this manifests, how this process manifests in your life. I'll find myself moving around in the world, and somebody will come up to me and confront me on some level. They want to challenge me on this or that or the other thing. And all of a sudden, I'm, it's, I, and they frighten me. They frighten me. I just got a little frightened. I'm feeling a little defensive suddenly because I really don't know what's going on here. I used to be able to throw up a wall of fear. Just a wall of fear would go up. I'd throw a wall up between me and that individual, and I'd just lob stuff across the wall till they go away. You know, I'd either become hostile, you know, throw stuff over the wall, you know, or I'd become very passive and just find one, you know, I'd just throw a little passivity across the wall, you know what I mean? Or I'd just clam up and throw silence over the wall. You know, till they would go away, and I'm like, good, they're gone, you know, and then I'd go put them on my resentment list. <laughs> just loop it right back around, you know? 
But when you do it, when you really look at the inventory work on the fear like that, and you realize that all you're afraid of is abandonment, rejection. I'm afraid of those things. And somebody walks up and scares you, and you just throw those two little things out there. It doesn't throw the wall up. You're not protected from them anymore. And all of a sudden, you stand there and go, oh, this is scaring me. You know, I'm afraid of being rejected here. I'm afraid of being rejected. And it just becomes very manageable and very workable. And I can own my own feelings. I can be responsible for how I'm feeling, not throw up a wall between me and this person. And I can engage them in an honorable manner. I can apologize or make amends if that's necessary right on the spot. Save myself more inventory work. I can, I can take care of business. I can, I can not get defensive. And you say, yeah, 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 yeah. And I say, okay. So you don't want to argue about it? I say, no, I'm not going to defend myself. There's no need to defend myself here. I'm not going to do it. And move on. Now understand this is a goal. You know, you may find me throwing up walls quite a bit on this trip. Who knows? But the idea is, is that I have something to work towards. I have a better understanding of how to function in my life based on the principles afoot here. So anyway, so I write this inventory and resentment fear and sex. Why those areas? Because if I want to look at the nature of my disease and the patterns that have developed in my life, there are no, there are no better areas to look at if I want to see the patterns. It's how I engage with other human beings on an intimate level, how I react to the fear within me. Right? And how I develop these resentments. The number one offense, I mean, the, the big killer, the thing that kills us, more of us than anything else. That resentment that drives us back into drinking at this one or that one or that thing. And then I take this. Now, again, I haven't really dealt with anybody in this death. I'm still on the couch writing this inventory and I finish this. I gotta do step five. I gotta make a call. Gotta make a call. Someone actually comes into the house and sits down. I, before God, I read this inventory to this other individual. The secrets are out. And the amount of energy that I've got in keeping those things within is dissipated tremendously. It just lessens the power that I've put in this stuff in my life, just in that one act. That person then gets up and says, nice job, leave. I sit alone for an hour. I reflect upon how these first five steps. How am I doing? Is my house in order? So I keep going. Flip the page to go to six and seven in the book. One very brief paragraph on each. My belief on that is, is that's because they know that if, if they'll let me, I'll hang with six and seven for years. Because I don't want to go anywhere near eight and nine. <laughs> I'm avoiding those. What are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm humbly asking. You know, I'm becoming willing. That's what I'm doing. I'm becoming willing to remove defects of character. And this is, I'm deepening the willingness that I'm having here. How long have you been working on this? About seven years now. A very deep willingness that's happening with me. <laughs> wouldn't want to be just kind of willing. I want to be very completely willing. And I, I, right now I'm, I'm very willing, but I'm not completely willing. I'm going to get to the completeness of the willingness to, to the defect. I'm, I'm working on the difference between uh, um, the defects of character and, and, and uh, it's important. Stay right here. They, one little thing, right? Basically what I'm going to do in 6 and 7 is I'm going to hook it back up with God. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hook it back up with God. I'm not going to get into, I mean, my understanding is defects of character, shortcomings, same thing. Bill never liked to use the same word twice, wasn't about to win that. Same thing. And the humility to ask for the defects of humility. God removes them instead of me because I'll remove the wrong stuff. I'll keep the stuff I like, give up the stuff that's causing me a little problem. <laughs> not a good idea. Give it to God, let God do it. I'll remove the wrong stuff. Humility, in my opinion, is just a willingness to learn. To accept a new idea, to accept a new way of looking at things. So I do that. Eight and nine, 
I'm going to hook it back up with you. Now, there's a lot of conversation in the book about eight and nine, because what they're going to do is they're going to let me out of the house for the first time. They're going to actually have me go engage other human beings in a brand new way. So there's a great deal of conversation because they want to be very, very clear with me before they let me out of the house. So I make a list, all these people that I've, I own them into, of any nature. And then they say, okay, I'll go do it. And I walk out of the house and I just say, I'm very, very sorry. Here's your money. Goodbye. And I go back in the house immediately. Because my tendency, I mean, when I was brand new and I read that, I thought, oh, i got to make amends to these people. And I was running out apologizing to everybody. I had a few months of sobriety. And I would run into somebody that I had dealt with out there and I'd say, you know what, I'm really sorry I acted that way. And I was still real tied up in, okay, now you're going to tell me now that, oh, this is great, you're an A, you're going to give me the support that I think everything's going to... I was real invested in the response of the other person, which has absolutely nothing to do with the steps. Nothing. That's none of my business what that person does with it. My job is to clean my side of the street, not to get into trying to control or manipulate in some very, very clever little fancy way what you do with it on your side of the street. I need to stay out of that. Stay out of that. So I go out, I make my amends, and I get back in the house. I got three steps to go. I'm smoking now. Things are good. All I got left is 10, 11, and 12. My opinion, some people call them uh, maintenance steps, but I think that that word's a little deceptive because I don't think that, I, in my opinion, um, I don't stand still ever. I'm either moving forward or I'm moving back. So I really to kind of attempt to maintain the position I'm at is confusing. So I call them growth steps. They, they allow me to continue to grow in the process. 10, 11, and 12 is me, God, and you. There's nobody else to play with. And those are relationships that I've hooked up. I mean, I've done the, I've dealt with large chunks of truth about Earl. I've accepted my problem. I've accepted my solution. I've made a decision to do something about that by turning my will and my life over to care of God and embarking upon a plan of action. I've, I've, and, and, and in four and five, swallowed large chunks of truth about myself, about the nature of the disease and how it's manifested in my life. I've hooked it back up with God in six and seven. I've hooked it back up with you in eight and nine. And I began to function in a completely different manner. Ten is me, eleven is God, and twelve is you. There's no one else to play with. These are the relationships that I've hooked back up. I'm no longer this isolated, out-dying alcoholic. I've connected myself. I've hooked back up. And to maintain the nature of those relationships, i got to do ten, eleven, and twelve. Ten is me. i got to keep my side of the street clean. And when I'm wrong, i got to promptly admit it. I gotta do personal inventory. Continue to do that. To take a look. Cause I'm changing as I'm in this process. I'm growing. And I'm imperfect. I'm fallible. I still am affected by fear. I'm still affected by doubt. The great hindrances of life. I still react inappropriately. The defects of character flare as a result of self-centered fear. I'm a work in process. Right? I'm not the polished diamond. I'm, you know, I'm still more like coal. You know, and it's gonna, and I'm one of the slow ones. I mean, I didn't open my mouth in here for the first two and a half years. Never took a chip, I didn't take a cake till I was three years sober. I mean, I moved slow to this deal. And I've gotta keep working on the process on a neat step ten, so that when I screw up, and I will, when I function based on, on aspects of self that are, um, less than I would like, as opposed to the higher level that I've learned from Alcoholics Anonymous, when I function from that lower level, I need to have the opportunity to immediately clean that up. And that's why the word promptly is in step 10. 
I need to continue to take personal inventory when I'm wrong, promptly admit it. And that's not to make me a good guy, that's to keep me alive. It's vital to my recovery because if I don't do it promptly, I'll develop resentment. And they will fester within me and poison me and I will lose sight of the thing that's most precious in my life, which is my sobriety and my ability to do the things in my life on a daily basis, which is work all three sides of that triangle, the unity, the recovery, and the service. I mean, I lose sight of those things and I'll die. I'm a low-bottom, hope-to-die, dope-fiend alcoholic. I will die. Step 11 is my relationship with God. I see it as one of the growth steps, but I also see it as an action step, as a part of the action plan, and that's where a lot of people feel that the action plan goes all the way through from four on. Um, but this was the way it was taught to me. And if you want to argue about it, I'd love to. Because I think that's a great debate. A bunch of dead people walking around arguing about a spiritual path. <laughs> it's terrific. But 11 is that I seek God. It's an action step. I seek God. The action is mine. I seek God. I don't sit around saying, show your faith and then I'll believe. No. I seek God. How do I seek Him? How do I seek God? Do I sit in my room and think about it? Well, uh, the book tells me that I seek God through prayer and meditation. What do I pray for? The step tells me that I pray for knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry that out. That's it. No more cutting deals. No more making promises. No more, you get me out, like the old ones, you get me out of this and I'll never do this again. Get me out of this and I'll never do this again. Right? And I made lots of those and I never kept my end of the deal. So there's not, I don't see any reason why God would be interested in cutting a deal with me. I've never honored one yet. <laughs> why would I start now? So I pray for knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry that out. The power will come from God, a power greater than myself, not me. I mean, it's a different way of thinking completely. When you look at the seven-step prayer, and it talks about how victory over these problems will bear witness, right? What I, what I love about that is that I don't get relief from my problems so that I feel better. I get relief from my problems so that other people can see the value of, the, of a power greater than oneself. But that's the point of that. Anyway, that's what I pray for. Knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry that out. Why do I, why do I meditate? To quiet the mind so that when the answers come, I can hear them. You know, as Paul talked about, I mean, it gets very busy up here. You know, a lot of voices, everybody talking at once, and it's not very quiet, you know what I mean? And God will chime in with, with the answers to the thing I've meditated on. And, it's, you know, uh, we'll be with you in a minute, we're having a little debate down here. It's very self-centered and self-contained. It's to quiet it down so that the answers can come. And I, and my personal experience is, is that that is one of the remarkable spiritual truths about this process is that that's a stone-cold fact in my experience. That when I meditate, when I quiet the mind, the answers do come. They come quietly, they come effortlessly, the information is there. Step 12 is the third side of the triangle, service. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, the promise, the solution that was talked about in step two for me had come true. The obsession of drink is gone. It's no longer there. It's not there. I mean, every once in a while a thought will float by. You know, I'll drive by a billboard and they'll be selling some new thing. Zima or something, you know. And I'll think, you know, they didn't have that when I was drinking. I love a Zima. Look, it's even clear. How harmful could a clear thing like that be? It didn't have any color. 
harmless. It's like looks like a water. Water with a little bubbles. Enzima. That's nice. Enzima. In my head, I'll do a little dance to that, you know. But there's another. There's four other guys sitting there going, "Would you listen to this idiot?" <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm already busted. And I drive by and I laugh at myself and I go on. The obsession, that driving, undeniable need on, on the deepest of levels to go get edema <laughs> isn't there. It's just not there. So, having had that spiritual awakening, the relief from the obsession to drink, I can practice the principles and carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. I can be of service. I can turn around and give it away. I approach people now from the standpoint of how can I help. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm walking around saying how can I help because I'm a good guy. It's got nothing to do with it. I'm walking around saying to people, and if somebody says, can I talk to you? And I say yes. I'm saying yes because I want to stay sober. I'm saying yes because I don't want to die. I'm saying yes because that's what my sponsor told me works. And because I've stayed here long enough, I no longer have to just make a conscious decision to trust what my sponsor is saying. I have the experience that that is in fact the case for me. I do that and I walk away. I stop to be a service to another human being. I do, when it's inconvenient, when it's convenient, I, when we're done, I turn around and walk away. I feel better. I feel a little more centered. I feel more connected because I've taken the time to connect with another human being. Not somebody who's less of an aa than I am because they're coming to me with a problem. Not with somebody who's less than me in some way because they have less time. That's not what it's about. But because it's just their turn in the barrel. I will get mine. I had mine when we were together uh, on one of these trips and we were in Eleuthera. I was in the barrel. I was in the barrel and I sought the counsel of my elders on that trip and I got fed and I made some big changes in my life and my life is fundamentally different now than it was three months ago I mean fundamentally in terms of the nature of my relationships the nature of my work the nature of my health the nature of the degree of respect I show to myself as well as others it has changed fundamentally I got life on life terms but the beauty, the good news is the victory is there. The coming through the other side, the being back in the light is there as a result of these steps. I cannot impress upon you enough the impact that those steps have had on my life. And it, it, it affects how I listen. It affects how I feel. It affects the thought processes in my mind. It affects every choice that I make. It makes it possible for me to listen to a guy like Dr. Paul talk from the podium and recognize what in fact is in front of me. One of my heroes. I didn't have any heroes when I got here. Why is he a hero? Because I think that the most difficult thing in the world to be on a consistent basis is kind. It's a very difficult thing to be because my kindness has always been contingent upon how you behave. If you're kind to me, I'll be kind back. If you're mean to me, I'll back you off. The kindness will dip. But when you see people walking around in the world who have made a conscious decision to be kind human beings, and when you walk up to them and are kind to them, they're kind. And then you walk up to them and, and you're inappropriate with them. And they're kind. You walk up to them and, and you're downright rude. And they're kind. 
That's amazing to somebody like me. Absolutely amazing that, that, that a process like this could be internalized and create that kind of freedom in a human being. And I see them walking around. I mean, I've got them in AA all around me. The late great Donald Matt was, was the, the big one for me. I mean, he was just, that was an amazing gift to ever be able to be around a guy like that. And the gift of the step for me was that I was able to experience him, him on a level that I could internalize and use in my life. That I could meet a guy like Paul. Johnny's here. Um, I, last weekend I was in Vancouver talking and, and, I, and I met Angie D for the first time and we got to spend some time together and break some bread and have a little time. So it's a remarkable human being. And I meet this woman and I think, well, an incredible person. The lightning energy in this woman. And then I hear her story. And I'm in tears because I realize, because, because of my own story and what I've been through, I know what it took for that human being to get from where she started to where she is today. That that process is phenomenal. And the central core component of that path, that process, that life, is working those 12 steps. So if you're new, it's real, real simple. You got the problem, step one. You got the solution, step two. You got the decision to embark upon a plan of action that's going to bring that solution about in your life, four through nine, up for discussion and debate, so whether it's just that. Then you got 10, 11, and 12. That you, God, and others. It's going to keep you in that process and in that game and constantly, and it affords you the opportunity to reinvest in the steps and reinvest in the steps and reinvest in the steps and become centered and committed to this path. It is one day at a time, but obviously the goal is to die that way, to string those day at a time together. That putting the time together is important. If that, if that's not true, I say we drink on Friday. <laughs> Friday would be good for me. Friday would be good for me, you know, because then you could come back to me and I mean, I'd be healed up on Saturday, you know, recovered pretty fully on Sunday for that very short period of time that I was able to just drink on Friday, which I figured two weeks top. <laughs> and when I see you on Monday and you say, how you doing? I'll say, sober all day. Been sober all day. I think that there's a, yes, it is one day at a time. That is how we accomplish the goal. The goal is one day at a time till I die. That's the idea. That's the stuff that Bill Wilson talks about. The idea here is to die sober. That is the goal we're shooting for. How do you accomplish that? One day at a time. One day at a time. I get to bed tonight sober, I win. I win. If you're new, dive in. There's people walking around in here that don't speak a lot. They're not real visible. They don't, you know, but if you sit and have conversations with people at lunch and dinner and by the pool and after the meeting and socialize a little bit, you'll find people in here that are not that high profile, that aren't that visible, that are immersed in the process and are more than happy to share it with you and, and, and just jump in. You don't have to know what's going on. You don't have to get it right. You don't have to, to be well read about it. Just jump in and start to grapple with the concept. Jump in and start to grapple with it and try to apply it to yourself and see what happens. Get it wrong and get it wrong and get it wrong and get it wrong and all of a sudden you're standing in the light. All of a sudden it's there. And you know what Millie's talking about. You know what Cookie's talking about. You know what Steve's talking about. You know what Guy's talking about. You know what Paul and Max are talking about. And you see that the reason that these people function in the honorable, respectful manner that they do is because they're in the game. They're in the process. Could there be any questions? I forgot I was going to...
You want to do a prayer or something? Should we do a prayer? Can I pick one? All right, let's let's do a serenity prayer. God. 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 God.